after hearing Paul talk about special seasons and days, I'm almost reluctant to mention this. This is the season of Lent, and we uh, traditionally spend time during Lent uh, engaged in solemn repentance. And last week, what we what we learned last week is that solemn doesn't necessarily mean unhappy; it means serious. And repentance doesn't mean to be sorry. It may include being sorry, but what it really means is to rethink things, to make a U-turn, to stop digging your own hole, to to uh, change your mind, to say, you know what, I need to just rethink things. And so what we talked about last week is rethinking God, because a lot of times people have this idea that there's there's the happy God of the New Testament, there's Jesus with the sheep on his shoulders and a child in his lap, um, maybe even at the same time. Uh, but there's that, that mean God, the angry God, the the God up on the top of the mountain who's thundering and, and giving sets of rules that you can't possibly obey. And we have this idea that God has somehow uh, got a split personality. And, and what we talked about last week is we need to rethink that because Jesus is the image of God, that there's nothing we need to know about God or would want to know about God that isn't accurately revealed in Jesus. So last week we talked about how we sometimes need to rethink God. And today we're going to rethink ourselves. I was um, I was at a meeting this week, and I'm going to another one this week. So uh, they they in the, in the wisdom of the powers that be, we have a Methodist meetings one week, and then we have Presbyterian meetings the following week. So I get all the denominational uh, 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 Christianity I could possibly hope for back to back during February and October. So. Um, at the Methodist one uh, this past week, uh, one of the things one of the things that we do a lot of I haven't seen the pastor from Unalaska before, and I don't bump into her a lot. So there's the the meeting and greeting. There's just introducing yourself. You know, who are you? Uh, oh, it's good to meet you. That kind of thing. And at a, at an event like that, we have these. We have badges, um, which is kind of a, a shame. I mean, it's good because after they tell you the name and you've forgotten it, you can kind of sneak a peek down and and remind yourself. But it's bad because that's really a big part of of that introduction process, right? You 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 the badge tells tells them your name and your the the place you're from, and that kind of steals the first two conversational gambits you have, right? Because that's what we do when we are introducing ourselves. We say typically, "My name is Luke," and then I tell people what I do. I'm a pastor. Uh, I'm a pastor at um, Jewel Lake Parish. It's a church in Anchorage. It's um, it's uh, near the airport. It's across from Sand Lake Elementary. We kind of go through these these processes of talking about our job. Uh, maybe, um, maybe for some of us, we've been retired, so we don't talk about our job. We talk about what our job used to be. I'm retired from such and such a job. Maybe we're young and we're still in school, and so we don't say what our job is. We say what we'd like to be. When I grew up, I want to be a firefighter. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a mommy, whatever, whatever it is. We talk about the thing we want to do once we get out of elementary school or whatever. Maybe we talk about what grade we are. We say, I'm an eighth grader. I'm, I'm in college. I'm a junior. My major is chemistry. My major is history. So we talk about what it is we do. So one of the ways we introduce ourselves is we talk about, we talk about who we are and what we do. But that changes depending on our context. If we're going to the doctor's office, we might say, we might say, you know, the, the facts and figures, you know, our height, our weight, our age, our sex, uh, marital status, those sorts of things. We might talk about those sorts of things. And depending on the context, we might say other things. We might say, for example, 
in an election year, we might get into a conversation where we say, well, I'm a Democrat and I believe such and such, or I'm a Republican and I believe such and such. Maybe we won't even talk about our party. We'll talk about our philosophy. We'll say I'm a progressive or I'm a conservative, I'm a libertarian, whatever whatever it is we want people to know about us, we might say in terms of our politics. Um, so, so those are some of the ways we introduce ourselves. And because this is a church, we might even get around to talking about our faith or maybe our lack of faith. Sometimes you meet people and they say, they say, I, you know, that's all nice that you have a hobby, but, but I don't believe any of that stuff. I'm, I'm an atheist. Um, I believe that when you die, uh, your, your body shuts down and that's the end of that. So you meet people like that. You meet people who say, well, I don't really know. I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other. I haven't ever seen any evidence that would convince me of God, but, but, you know, again, you're welcome to have your hobby. So you see people who are agnostic. You people, you, you meet people who have different faiths. I'm, I'm a Muslim. I'm a Jew. Um, I'm, I'm from a, a world religion like Buddhism or Hinduism. And, and so you meet people who have different faiths that they're part of. One of the things you sometimes meet is you meet people who are sometimes kind of, uh, in, you know, in a place that they can't really name. They say, I was raised a Methodist. And, I haven't been in a while. And, you know, it's like, what does that actually mean? You know, does that, is that, does that describe your faith or what? Um, so sometimes people really aren't clear exactly what their faith is. They don't know, they don't have a label for it. Um, at the, at the Methodist meeting, it was easy for me because I'm the Presbyterian. So, um, I could, I had a, I had a little conversational thing I could throw in. This next week, I won't be able to do it because it'll be mostly Presbyterian. So, um, that one won't work. But, we introduce ourselves. We, we talk about who we are in terms of what it is we believe, what it is we do, or sometimes just kind of the bare facts, how old we are, things like that. But I was talking about introductions, right? We, we introduce ourselves a lot, but sometimes we introduce other people. And so what would other people introduce us as? You know, it's, a, it's an election year. Would a politician necessarily introduce us as a Democrat or a Republican, or would they say... This person's a constituent, or this person's a voter, or even better, this person's a swing voter, or maybe, best of all, this person's a donor. So uh, people people have different ways of introducing us from the outside than we might introduce ourselves from the inside. And again, from from a point of faith, maybe it's not as important what we think our faith is as what God thinks our faith is. We sang a song earlier we sing a song, um, I'll fly away in the morning to God's celestial shore. Imagine that circumstance. You get to heaven, and God says, hey, Gabriel, come over here. I want to introduce you to someone. What would God say? Would God say, here's a retired pipe fitter? Would God say, here's an avid golfer? <laughs> would God say, here's a computer scientist, or here's an eighth grader? What would God say when he was introducing you to Gabriel? Would he say you're a Presbyterian or a Methodist? My guess is he probably wouldn't. Um, what would God introduce you as? It, you know, before you got to that point, before you, before you had that introduction with Gabriel, our, our funeral liturgy in the Presbyterian church, there's a, there's a prayer we, we say as part of our funeral liturgy. We're basically committing the, the, the deceased into God's care. We say, you have gone to a place where we can no longer uh, maintain any kind of relationship with you except in our memory, but we entrust you to God. So we say to God, we say as, as part of a prayer to God, we say, 
into your hands, O Lord. We commend our sister, our brother, whoever. And we say they are a sheep of your fold, a lamb of your flock, a sinner of your own redeeming. Would God say that? Would God call Gabriel over and, Gabriel, I want you to meet a sheep of my flock, a lamb of my fold, a sheep of my fold, a lamb of my flock, a sinner of my own redeeming? What would God say to Gabriel? What Scripture tells us, the way Scripture answers that question, is what God would say to Gabriel is, Gabriel, I want you to meet my son. Gabriel, I want you to meet my daughter. Scripture says, and more importantly, God says that we are his children. So I want to look at a scripture where that comes up. Um, so I'd like to look at the, the passage we heard from Gabriel, uh, from um, Galatians. Um, so as you're, as you're locating that in your Bible, I want to orient you about what's been going on before the part we read. Paul has, has been a, a church planter. He has gone to different parts of the Mediterranean Rim. He tr- planted churches all over the place. And one area where he planted churches was in a region called Galatia. Galatia is kind of the, the central part of what is modern-day Turkey. So if you imagine kind of the Mississippi Valley in the United States, kind of the central north-south strip, Galatia is the same thing for the region that is now Turkey and Asia Minor. So that whole region is Galatia. Paul planted several churches there, and then he went on and planted churches elsewhere. And after he left, some people came and they said, Oh, good. We're going around the, the Mediterranean world telling people about Jesus, and we're glad to know you've already heard about Jesus. That's really neat. But then they found out that those people hadn't heard the same version of the story that they were telling. And they said, well, actually, it's great that you're a Christian, but there's one more step you have to take before you can become a Christian. And the, the people that Paul had left behind in those churches said, what is that step? And they said, you have to become a Jew. You have to observe all the seasons and all the rituals. There's 613 commandments that you have to obey. There's, there's 238 do's and 365 don'ts that you have to obey. You have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. You have to observe the seasons and the rituals, the special holidays and the feasts and the fasts. And when Paul heard about that, Paul wasn't happy. In fact, if you look at the, 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 letter to the Galatians, you might find yourself asking, can preachers talk that way? Are preachers supposed to say those words? Paul begins in chapter 1. He kind of gets the formalities to and from out of the way, but then he says, he begins his letter, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So Paul says, you are abandoning your faith. You're deserting the one who, who introduced you to Jesus and are taking on another gospel. And then in chapter three, he says this. He says, he says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Paul is really steaming mad. And he says, you can't go back there. You can't go back and become a Jew once you become a Christian. And he says, he gives them two two images to think about. And he says this, he says in um, chapter 3, he says, the law was our disciplinarian. It's a, a word that means a babysitter. Uh, when we were small, 
we needed somebody to keep us from getting in trouble. He says the law was our disciplinary and our babysitter until Christ came. And then in chapter 4, the section we read, he says this. My point is this. Heirs, as long as they're minors, are no better than slaves, though they are owners of all the property, but they remain under guardians and trustees until the date set by the father. He says, he says, you can imagine if somebody dies and leaves an estate for his, his son, but the son is eight, the son would blow it all on comic books and lollipops or something like that. So he, he, he has, he has uh, guardians who will take care of the son until the son comes of age. So he says, until then, the son just does whatever the guardian tells him to. He doesn't get as many comic books as he wants. Paul says, He's under the uh, the guardian and the trustees, and he says, "So with us, we were in the same situation when we were we were minors. We were enslaved to the elemental spirits of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children." Paul says again, a second time, he uses a slightly different metaphor, but he says the same thing. We are children of God. And this is a place where you have to kind of read between the lines. Why would Paul use that metaphor twice? Why wouldn't he talk about some other way of understanding us? Understanding why the law wasn't important to people who followed Christ. I mean, he's got the world of imagery to come up with. Why did he do this twice? He answers that question. He says, Because you are children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Paul is referring to something they've already experienced. Paul says, don't believe me. Don't believe some some lecture that somebody could give you from Scripture. Believe what you know in your hearts. He says, believe what you have experienced. That moment when you came to faith and you first thought, could it be true that God is not... A, a, a dictator up on a mountaintop who can hurl lightning bolts makes the world shake. He said, that moment when you thought, could God be my father? That, that moment when you said, God is not a, a, a drill sergeant with a long list of things for me to do, things I can't possibly do, but God might be my father? He says, that was God speaking in your heart. That, that moment when you felt that way. That was God speaking in your heart. He says, don't believe Paul. Don't believe uh, even the evidence of Scripture. Believe what you heard in your heart when God's Spirit spoke to you and said you are His child. Now, I know some of us say, well, I don't remember that. I didn't have that experience. I I don't remember the Spirit speaking to me in my heart and, and having me say Abba. This word Abba, there's a footnote in your Bible. It says Abba is the 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 term for father it's an aramaic word that means father but it's not just father it's not a biological term it's a relational term it's the word that a the young child would say it's like papa it's the difference between father and papa it's it's a it's a word that a child would say to his father it's an intimate word it, it's a word uh, for somebody in a family situation he says that's the word that the spirit of jesus said in your heart about god and you say you know, I, I don't know if I remember that ever happening. Did did that really happen? Well, if you've if you've found yourself wondering that, am I really a child of God? Did, is that true? I don't remember hearing Abba in my heart. Think about the times when you've been closest to thinking that. 
You know, when, when you, when you, when you find yourself nodding your head, you, you hear the story about Zacchaeus climbing the sycamore tree and everybody criticizing Jesus. You can't have anything to do with that guy. And Zacchaeus, and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I have to eat at your house tonight. And when people continue to criticize Jesus, he says, he's your brother. He's a child of Abraham. And you thought, yes. You found yourself nodding your head. Or you heard the parable of the lost son, the son who goes out and makes an absolute botch of his life. He drives into the ditch, and he's there in the ditch up to his ankles in mud, up to his neck in mud, and he hits rock bottom. And he says, what was I thinking? And he says, it was better at home. That that thought that went through your head, could it be true? Paul says, that isn't just you thinking that. That is the Spirit of God testifying in your heart that God is your Father. There's a theologian named uh, Frederick Buechner, and he says, he says there's something you should really do to find out who you are. He says, whenever you find tears in your eyes, especially unexpected tears, or if you're a guy, sometimes you might notice the room got dusty and something got in your eye and you needed to wipe it. Whenever you find unexpected tears, tears are un- especially unexpected tears, it's well to pay the closest attention because they are not only telling you something about the secret of who you are, but more often than not, God is speaking to you through them. That's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about that thing when you said, could it be true? Could it be true that I am a child of God? Paul says, it is true. And because you're a child, then he says, you're free from the law. But Paul says, that moment when you had that thought, when you wondered, could it even be true? He says, that's the proof that it is true because God himself spoke in your heart. So, what's the application? Well, there are some applications. Last week, the application was simply rethink God. This week, there's actually some implications. If we rethink ourselves... If we rethink who we are, then there are some applications. So the first one is, uh, remember, there are other people who are also children of God. Uh, there's a preacher named Andy Stanley I admire, and he, he says that he, he was at a, he was at a um, uh, event where he was talking to a bunch of young uh, uh, singles, uh, men and women, and he was talking about dating. And he said, he said, here's the way you apply this in a dating situation. He said, when you go to pick up your date, just imagine God saying, all right, you two, go have fun. I'll be sitting here on the front porch polishing my lightning bolts. <laughs> says, remember the people that you encounter in your life, in your dating life, but in your whole life are children of God. And you really don't want to get their father upset with you. So the person at work, that jerk in the cafeteria at school, the person across the dining room table, they're children of God. And remember, they have a father who cares a whole lot about them. So care, remember the, the people in your life who are also children of God, but rethink yourself too. Rethink who you are as a child of God. You know, sometimes it's hard for us to remember that sometimes what we say is, I am a sinner of God's own redeeming. And fortunately, I'm not as bad a sinner as that person over there. 
But we think of ourselves in terms of how we have failed to live up to God's God's desires. We think of ourselves as a sinner. We, or, or, or we think of ourselves as a hopeless case. You know, God has no use for somebody like me. There's nothing God can do with somebody who's as big of a screw-up as I am. There's just no hope for me. Sometimes we've got... We've got tapes playing in our heads. We've got a history. And we say, somebody who is as damaged as I am, there's no place for God to do anything with them. There's there's the voices we hear as we play back those tapes that say, you're just like your mother. Your dad was an alcoholic too. There's the voices we hear that say, God cannot possibly think of me as anything but those things. But the voice in your heart the voice you should pay attention to, the voice that brings tears to your eyes, is the voice of God telling you, you are his child. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give thanks that you have sent your Son so that we can receive your Spirit and be adopted as your children. We pray, Lord, that you would keep that in our hearts so that as we forget about ourselves, and as we forget about others, we could be reminded that we are your children, and so are they. We pray you'd help us to act that way in our own lives and in our interactions with others. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.